and we're live with our 138th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We are excited to be here. As always, uh, we've got a few items on the list to discuss today. One big one, um, just based on all the news that's been going around recently. Uh, But we'll jump into that shortly. As far as announcements go, we still have the course that's available at Black Hat. Um, That will be virtual, but Ken and I, well, I'm not sure if Ken's coming out, but I'm going to be in in Vegas for DEF CON as well. Um, We're going to be at Forward CloudSec. If anyone wants to jump on there, uh, looked like there was snafu with the tickets. Initially, it didn't say there was any, but there have been some available. So if you want to support Scott Piper in that group or you're interested in cloud security, come out to that. We're not speaking or anything, but it's local to me here in Salt Lake City. So I think we'll do some sort of a happy hour or some sort of an absolute AppSec event if anyone is interested and around. Um, yeah, I, outside of that, I don't think, I don't really have a lot of other announcements, Ken, unless something else has come up that you've got, yeah, that you're aware of. I was just going to mention that Naomi Buckwalter will be on the podcast. I don't think it's next week. I think it's the week after. I think it's June 29th. I believe. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds correct. So that'll be a fun episode. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think you've covered the majority of it. I'm a little, I'm a little brain dead from uh, just traveling this weekend and stuff like that. So be, I'll be if I'm if I'm mentally slower than normal. That, that that's why. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. Any any any? What's going on with you, Seth? <laughs> What's going on with you? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, you know, house construction, right? Like I've been dealing with construction projects, but but that's not really technical related. Um, I've been getting into some cryptocurrency stuff, doing some code review. That seems to be what we do nowadays, right? Um, and yeah, just trying to get through the summer. I, we've started ramping up the hacker tracker updates for 2021 for the next version of DEF CON. And yeah, just feels super busy, right? Uh, this time of year before conference season, right? I guess, you know, that early August timeframe, everything kind of ramps up. Um, and then we jump into full on business, like Q3 is always crazy. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's basically my life right now. Um, this is the this is the good time then to do the, to do the yearly reminder of do not wait until Q4 to schedule your your yes. consultants and your assessments and your training and things like that. I know people want to wait, see what their budget looks like, and then spend it to re- keep to, to to regain that to keep it for the next year. Yeah, if it's a bad if, idea to wait, it's a bad idea. If you go to any consultancy in October, they're gonna uh, wring their hands and be like, "Uh, we don't really have capacity," um, which equates to if they can do it for you, they're finding somebody or a sub or somebody else to go through. And it may not be as high level of expertise as you want, right? That's um, that's Seth saying. If you want the A team, no, no, this is true with every consultancy. With every consultancy, if you want the A team, you don't wait until Q4. If yeah. you want whatever that they've got time for, you wait until Q4. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like 
I wish that there was a better way to make that work less cyclical. Not that it matters to me. I don't do consulting, but I, it does matter because you tend to I feel like in, in this career, you tend to go in and out of defense and con consulting. Yeah. So I'm sure eventually it'll it'll be something that I'm back doing and, uh, you know, someday. And don't someday. wait until Q4. That's the that's the that's the moral of the story. Don't wait until Q4. Don't so wait annoying. until Q4. Yeah. It's so annoying because it's like you sit there, especially like when you plan out the budget for a year, like not the budget, but the the it is a it isn't it isn't a budget. It's more encompassing. It's like if you if we, as you're working through the revenue stream um, and, you know, your numbers and, and trying to make projections when people go and you've got maybe, you know, and I know if it's not an issue for you, but for some consultancies, maybe they have a slower Q2 or, you know, maybe the end of Q1 or beginning Q1, whatever. And then like everybody just jams everything into those last few months and it just causes so much of a headache. It's so bad. It's like, this is a problem that just is like on, I don't want to talk about the whole episode, but it's just ongoing. It's like, well, and I mean, I have this issue even with, uh, organizations, right? That they, they planning for security testing, right? It's either not built into the development plan or they contact like security has a um, requirement that they do some sort of security testing before they go live and they don't realize it until two weeks before they go live. And they, they come to me and they ask, well, yeah, can you guys jump on this? And it's like two to three weeks worth of like testing work. And I'm like, no, right? Like this isn't right. Like, yes, we could jump on it, but number one, you're going to, you know, I'm going to have to charge you to bump other clients. And number two, we're not going to get through it. And if we find anything, you're going to have to go back and fix it. Right? Like it's just, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what security testing actually is. Um, the, the compliance checkbox that a lot of people are looking for when they come to us is Oh, it's just like a unit test or an integration test where you just run some tools and we get the like green check and move on. So I, I don't know how to educate customers other than working with them and talking to them, but it's it, it's a problem. You're right. Uh, across the across the industry. Yeah, it's it's been this problem that just has continued to. And I know there's like of course we know the ways to like you know manage that and um you know, handle those situations. And, you know, sometimes you'll do more like embedded work or kind of like almost like subscription style work, you know, um, to do more even like strategic work throughout the year. Sometimes, I mean, there's all kinds, of, we could, we could delve in forever on like the little strategies that you learn to put into place and put, you know, certain work that makes more sense for a certain client and then other, you know, other, other work that doesn't, but then it's like, it's always this balance in this, this game. And then you get to Q4 and it's like, whatever you put into place, people just doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's when you get new clients too. And it's like, are you kidding me? You're a brand new client. I'm, I don't want to bump the other clients for your, and yeah. when you said two or three weeks, the truth is, is like, yeah, two or three weeks. But like, you know, when you scope things, that's that's two to three weeks so that you can make the price reasonable you know mm -hmm. if we were if we were to not do that the realistic like best case most optimal would be sometimes months to do yeah. a review a proper review uh, in the in the best way possible where it's the most comprehensive it could take that long you know yeah. when you're talking about like millions of lines of code and such 
Anyways, my point is, don't wait till Q4. Don't be that person. All don't right? be that person. Yeah, come now because, yeah, Q3 is already. It doesn't even affect me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Also, that's the, yeah. that, is, that is a good thing, though, to, to just while we're on, just real quickly while we're on the subject, that is a good thing to, to mention, though, too, is like if you're if you have a large application, right, like a monolith or even if it's not a monolith, but it's like multiple s- services and you want a decent review, but obviously you can't pay for months of testing. Pinpoint strategic parts of the application that you're concerned about. Don't just say, can you make this secure? That's the worst thing in the world to do. It's like be like, yeah, just like you know, find vulnerabilities, do an assessment. Like, that's fine. We can do that. And we'll go for like a specific subset. And like, we'll look for things of certain levels of risk. And we talk about all this in the code review. But the most optimal really is to say like, hey, you know, our application does SSO. I want to pick apart SSO. Like, are we doing that well? Or hey, our application relies pretty heavily on this authorization library. I want you to take a look at how we've implemented it as well as the authorization library itself. Like break it down into sizable digest, uh, sorry, digestible chunks that make sense. Not just be like, hey, here's this gigantic monolith. Try and find vulnerabilities. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's not, and that's on us too to, you know, if you're a consultant to have that conversation with your clients. But yeah, I think that that's what I see the most often or did used to see the most often was people come in and be like, just secure my app. And it's like, no. That's too much. That's you, the because what ends up happening when someone brings millions of lines of code, a huge monolith, and just says, "Just make it secure." It's you're just going for the highest impact places, like literally in places, and then looking for the most high impact volumes, and then trying to do any like checklisty, basic security hygiene checks, things like headers and TLS and all that stuff. It, mm-hmm. it, I, you know, that's the reality. Um, and I'm not saying that's like. You can't do a valuable test, but I'm saying it would be more valuable if it was more strategic. Yeah. I'm rambling. No, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I, and, and, you know, for those listening, we didn't mean to go off on this tangent, but it is important to actually have this discussion because it, uh, it like it affects you as a, or your organization on how much you spend for security testing or even how much your internal testers are doing and where they're spending their time, um, right? So even this goes as far back as when I was working at the bank that they'd be like, oh, we have to test all the applications every year. And you're like, I'm like, yeah, there's a team of two of us and there's like 500 applications. So you want me to look at each application for, oh, you know, two hours and tell you that it's secure. Right. Like we did the math at some point, but that doesn't quite work out. Right. No. Uh, and it was just, I'm like, no, this is not, this is not how you mitigate risk for an organization. It's just not right. Like it always goes back to threat modeling, goes back to, you know, what are the pieces that you're really concerned about? And so we had to have that discussion with the organization because, you know, it, it basically went up to some VP because it's a bank and everybody's a vice president who was yeah, like, everybody's nope, vice everything, president. Has to be, yeah, everything has to be secure. And they made some like, you know, compliance judgment call and told them all that that's what they were going to do, told all the auditors. And then the auditors come to us and they're like, hey, it says that you look at all your applications on a yearly basis. We want to see the results. And yeah, it, it became a whole thing, right? Like, and I know most organizations deal with this, especially high re- highly regulated organizations, because they have 
certain expectations, right? The FDIC, or, you know, other third parties that come in and look and ask them what's going on. So, I, I mean, so to unwind this completely, right? What Ken is saying is you've got to plan ahead and you've got to do some sort of risk analysis on what is it that we really want to target, right? If you just implemented, like you said, new SSO, new single sign-on functionality, um, maybe that's where you spend some cycles is like doing a deep dive there instead of trying to analyze 500 different API endpoints for, you know, input or SQL injection or find ways to automate, right? Like there's, there's, there's places to spend that focus that are better value to the company than others. No. And, and it's, and it's funny you mentioned the compliance aspect. That's why this is on top of my mind right now and why I'm kind of like talking about it is that I had to like we're in the process of, you know, like codifying like, okay, this is when we do third party tests and this is how we do third party tests because to get the most optimal result because I've been on the other side of, of this equation and I know that you, if this is the, exactly what I'm saying. Like you do need to be smart about how you engage a consultancy to do testing. It just... Yeah. I, I, and I have plenty of, of examples of how that play has played out when that doesn't happen. And it's, and it's just the least optimal version of testing because, and then we, again, you know, when we do our, I always say this, when we do our course, we talk about how you, when you engage your client need to talk to specifically um, or solicit specifically from engineering their biggest concerns and risks, which is part yeah. of that as well as the organization, right? And that's how you kind of, if they can't tell you what specific parts, that's kind of how you pare down is like, you, you say like, what are your biggest risks? Like, what are you most concerned about? Like, oh, well, we just did this new crypto library so we could securely do whatever. And it's like, yeah, all right, cool. That sounds like a good starting place. You know, like that's an important security function. It's new. Let's look at that. So it's like, yeah. And, and, and you said requirements. And so sometimes the requirements are just look like you got to do third party testing, but there's a lot of wiggle room within those requirements about what is third party testing. So it's yeah. up to you. You get to make these choices. Most yep. of the time. And I, and I know there's organizations out there like consultancies that'll do, you know, a, a dynamic scan of your web presence and send you a report. And, you know, it's a compliance check, right? That's all that they do. Um, and if that's all you're looking for, great, right? Those organizations exist. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, it was Lee that had that interesting, um, point in Slack, right? Um, I think that's Lee, right? Larry. Remember. Larry. There you go. Sorry. Sorry, Larry. Um, yeah, it's funny how people take time estimations with nothing else going on or with current work workloads and people show up last minute, get this work done with all resources dedicated elsewhere based on those estimates. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you the number of times that a, a client like will talk about work and like what the pipeline looks like. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll sign a, they'll sign a contract saying they want someone for, you know, two weeks and then I don't hear from them. Right. So they never book it. They never actually like put it on the calendar because they're in development mode. And then they show up basically the week before that they, they want that to launch and say, okay, we're ready for security testing now. And I'm like, okay, in the contract, it states that I need like two to four weeks of runtime to get resources aligned for you. And I, I can't help you out right now. I can if I pull in someone else and they may or may not be 
A players, like you're saying, they may or may not have like familiarity with you as a client with your, you know, so it's just a. Well, and that's a good point. That, that point alone is something that's important to, to highlight is that when you have, like when you have uh, your consultants, you know, they, you, you want to be able to place them with the, the, the same customers. If, if, it, if it's, there are times where you want another set of eyes because you, you do need like a sort of a second check, you know, like, does that make sense? Like sometimes, you know, maybe somebody did an assessment six months ago and you're like, okay, you know what? I want this other person who maybe knows a lot more about this type of text or this, this tech tech stack, or maybe the applications like core business purpose and whatever. Sometimes you do want the second person to come behind and do that. But most often you do want to like have that person who has established that relationship has already done the initial, like a large part of the initial upfront work, work is figuring out the tech stack, the application behavior, profiling, all the components that do security impacting things and just getting to know that staff getting onboarded. And so sometimes like you do, you know, you, a lot of times you, you want the same person. And like you said, if you just like come in last minute, it's like, well, that person's now assigned to something else and you put me in a weird spot. And, you know, and also when you do your projections, you know, it's not like just week to week. It's like, you know, we're talking sometimes months out, you know, what the schedule is going to look like. You know, there have definitely been times in at consultancies we've worked at where it's like, you know, it's this time of year and they're like, hey, you need to start scheduling your time for Q4 and put it on the calendar because otherwise yeah. you're not like, just don't expect that you'll be able to, you know, I mean, I have my own opinions about that, but, uh, you know, that there are places that certainly are like, hey, if you don't put it on the calendar soon, you probably won't be able to take vacation in Q4. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Anyways. Yep. We've dealt with it. Right. So, so anyway, yeah. 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 To roll it all the way back, basically <laughs> contact your, uh, your testers and get on the calendar now because once Q3 hits, all bets are off. Right. It just, yeah. that, that, that's the, that's the life that we live. Um, well, that's the life you live. That's true. <laughs> no, that's, that's, like... <laughs> that's fucked up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, no, but like it's uh, it's yeah. equally it's equally important on both sides to 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 care about it and not just look at it as like something that you just do. It's like it's, like, it's easy to do that, especially when it's like someone's forcing your hand to get a test. But it's like, hey, if someone's forcing your hand, you just got justification to spend money, so use it wisely. You know? Yeah, yeah, be smart. Yeah, be smart about it and actually analyze what you should be and right. Like there's there's ways to go about it to to get your checkbox and still actually get security done. Right. Uh, like that, that, that's the big problem that we have with the compliance frameworks is a lot of it is very checkboxy, right? It's you, if you've dealt with auditors before, it's very easy to point them in a specific direction and say, yeah, yeah, we did that. See, here's a report. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily add to security of a product or of an organization. So if the, if the org is actually spending money to do that, let's make sure that it actually improves the overall security and just isn't a checkbox. So, yeah, yeah, you can do both. You can do both. Yep, sure. Cool. Um, well, that was twenty minutes accidentally. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wait, oh, Ken. Gosh, the Ken's worst. all over today. The worst. Um, yeah. The other thing. Well, the big thing that I wanted to talk about today was ransomware, right? Um, from the perspective of of application security. 
um, right? Like, uh, let me post up this link. So just in June alone, right? Um, what is this bleeping computer or something like that, right? These guys have compiled a list of, okay, well, the last week, right? Uh, the fact that they, they, they have an article that's called This Week in Ransomware should tell you how, how many attacks are happening right now, right? Uh, we're mm -hmm. talking oil pipeline stuff, uh, the Colonial. We're talking the our evil attack against what JBS. Um, they call it a couple more. There's you know Fuji Film, um, U.S. nuclear weapons contractor, right? Like all of these ransomware attacks have happened within the last couple of weeks, right? Computer memory maker, A data, um, right? There's a new service that's out. They, they're calling out some of the other services that are there. How much JBS paid out? Food suppliers. Dang man, like you and just look through there as a service. Yep. That's a that's a thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you, you knew it would be right. Like, there's always been the malware as a service providers, um, in you know Russia, China, like affiliations. They build a whole. They've got customers that come to them, and they basically you know, exploit things. And then you want a ransomware. Here's a list of computers we have exploits on and like people targeted. It's, it's a crazy, crazy industry. Right. Um, yeah. Larry said when ransomware gets as much time as the weather on nightly news, things have gone sideways. Absolutely. You know, what's sad too is like, well, I don't feel that bad for a pipeline CEO, but <laughs> I'm not going to be, sorry, I'm not going to shed a tear for a, for a pipeline CEO. Um, Anyways, uh, oil pipeline. But I did. But I watched the Colonial Pipeline CEO in the news, and it was just like, oh my gosh, talking about the decision to you know pay the ransomware, which sounds like it was pretty much recovered. Anyways, um, yeah, it was just brutal to watch. It was like so you could tell he was just so nervous, giving that a uh, being like I had to make the decision, you know, and it, it impacts the the. Um, the uh, East coast and uh, also had, this was interesting too. I don't know if you caught this, but he made sure in the, the speech to mention uh, the FBI had, um, had said, don't, you know, don't pay the ransom obviously. Uh, Cause that's our official policy. But having said all that, come on, most of my ransomware was recovered uh, or the, the payout was recovered. Uh, wouldn't that be exactly what you would say? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot under the hood there going on behind the scenes, which is going to be an amazing story someday, but if released, but uh, yeah, I'd imagine um, what we heard, what we were told and what happened are probably very different things. So, but it was, yeah. it was weird to watch. Well, yeah. And I mean, even JBS, it's, it's in that link for that. Let's see. I don't think I posted that in Slack. Is this the bleeping today. computer link. Yeah, but um, one of those, I mean, it talks about how JBS had paid, what, $11 million, um, when they first demanded like twenty two and a half, right? So they negotiated that down. I'm not sure where that's gone. Like, we don't have a lot of good incident re response reports on these. Um, just, you know, okay, JBS comes up, comes back up. The pipeline, pipeline comes back up. Um, why is that? Did they pay for the... Yeah, did, did they pay the ransomware cost? Did they, you know, negotiate? Um, where else? You know, what else has happened there, right? Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it's Colonial only paid what four point four million, right? 
uh, mm-hmm. for their ransomware. JBS paid, I, I mean, that was almost double. And I, you can see why ransomware as a service is taking off if those are the sorts of numbers that Darkseid and the other groups are getting because, right, like, I mean, it's all automated. You just have to target specific companies and look for, like, okay, where, where have I actually found these exploits and what can I do with it? Um, and so that that that's where I wanted to go with this is from a defender side of things, and especially you, you know, Ken, working in an organization, like, what is your, what is, the appetite from management or from like the C-suite on ransomware and what are you guys doing to protect yourself from that? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, don't I, know, know, I, I know, I know it's yeah. a lot. We'll, we'll get yeah. into like some of the, the onesie twosie things that application security or product security could people can do, but just in general, from an organization perspective, like what is the buzz? I don't know our C-suite's position on it. I hope I never find out um, our C-suite's position on it <laughs> as well. I hope I never have to be, we, none of us have to be forced to, fi- to figure out that. But I think, you know, like obviously um, we, you know, there's lots of like endpoint detection, um, a lot of monitoring in place. These things help, um, but I guess I don't know you know, how often is this like a target of opportunity versus a target of uh, like it was a target, right? And they finally got in, which is like always possible. You can always fish somebody. You can always do, you know, like where there's the absence of technical protection, there's always the uh, presence of human error, right? So even in the most secure technically environment, uh, technically speaking, you, 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 there's, probably a way to, to get in. That's that's the way that I, I like to, I think most of us think. In terms of like, what is it, what is it ransoming, right? Like what is the type of data that's at, that we're talking about? Um, you know, like redundancy, because some of these I think are, are just like, they lock you out of your own access to data. And without redundancy, that's a bit difficult to deal with. Um, in other cases, I have to look at the other cases. I would imagine we're talking about um, wholesale takeovers of imp- the most important vital bits of systems. Again, like it's a little hard for me to know exactly what the ransomware that they, and this is not my expertise for mm-hmm. sure. So I feel very much out of my depth here and I'll just admit that. But uh I would say, especially when it comes to critical services like hospitals and pipelines and things like that, it would be pretty hard not to just say, look, we're going to pay this ransomware, especially like the amount that they were asking. When you look at the like the numbers overall, it's actually really a relatively small, small numbers, even though it's big wins for these these ransomware attack attackers, it's relatively small numbers for the people they're attacking usually. Um, Again, not my expertise, so if that's incorrect, but according to what I'm looking at, the targets and the payouts, that seems to be true. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess the 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 thing I would say is like, you know, if sometimes it has to be paid out, and then you have to just get, you know, <laughs> to, to go back and and try and figure out how it happened, and you know, yeah, deal with that and put in protections in place, and yeah, just kind of bite the bullet. It happens, um, especially with healthcare. I think that's the one that it first, when I first started seeing in the news, it was healthcare. It was like hospitals and like 
people with serious ramifications for when things just don't work and they don't have access to data or systems. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, I just, like I said, I hope, I hope we never find out like, you know, what our policy is on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean, this, is, I, this is the interesting thing with, with ransomware in general, right? Is there's all these components. Like we, we always talk about different, like, supply software supply chain attacks you know dependencies um how that can insert you know code into your application um and i i don't think there's been evidence of ransomware coming in through those avenues yet right like yet um because they do target you know they send out phishing emails they send out there, there's other easier avenues right now um but the protections that we start to talk about preventing code and, you know, untrusted data coming into your environment and into your application is where this all starts, right? Um, it's, I, I mean, it's education at some level of, okay, who has access to what? What do they click on? Like, how do you keep yourself secure? Um, but it, when it comes to an application, can you, you jumped on to, redundancy pretty quickly, right? Uh, from how do I protect against ransomware in, yeah, it, it, so in my application, right? If we're just looking at an application solely from that lens, um, I go back to that, you know, confidentiality, integrity, availability, the CIA triad, and it, this is a combination of integrity and availability that we're looking at. It is an attack against the integrity of the data, like what it is that you're actually doing, the functionality that exists there, and then the availability is what they're taking advantage of because they're making it, they're conducting a denial of service attack against your application um, through the integrity exploit, right? Um, so like, so Ken, you talked about redundancy, right? That's one of the main avenues that organizations look at for preventing ransomware attacks. So that if someone does get in, you just inevitably assume that eventually someone's going to click on a link, that they're going to encrypt this data on a file share. And you've got to be able to, number one, identify that. And number two, restore it to a known good point before the encryption happened, right? Um, that's Those are the two principles, I guess, of, of preventing ransomware or dealing with ransomware if it's already made it in through the front door. Um, unless you're doing that in your application, right? All bets are off, and you're gonna you're gonna end up having to pay that fee. Yeah, I mean, and you know, to to that end, when we st when when like I don't know, just say early like pre two thousand ten, right? And even a little bit after, um, but like definitely, I can I can speak to from two thousand two to two thousand. 10, we'll say there was a lot of emphasis on, well, in before 2002, I can just speak to the 2000, roughly 2001, 2002 to 2010 timeframe. Uh, there are a lot of, there was a lot of emphasis on, um, hardening the perimeter. Um, but right. Like we found that that was the worst strategy because then people are just like soft, crunchy, you know, inside you could just like get, if you get in like through fishing or whatever, which is likely someone or someone makes a mistake, which is likely uh, in like a config or something I'm saying, uh, or put something online they shouldn't have, whatever. And you get in, it's like, it was like a free for all, right? 
And there was kind of this assumption of like, if we harden at the perimeter, then like that's our valiant effort and let's just hope nothing happens. And then over time, post 2010, as like, you know, I guess through like RSA and all the like conferences that the C-suite kind of go to, what we had been saying at like hobbyist conferences started to surface, surface its way up, started to change the industry. Um, and like when I say we, I just mean as security practitioners, we, we'd been emphasizing like you shouldn't just try and harden the perimeter. You should actually do the opposite. Well, not the opposite, but you should you should assume that you're going that there's going to be a problem and you should run tabletop exercises, have redundancy in place, all the things that we talk about. So instead of just relying on your perimeter security, um, which is arguably, eh, you know, as important as all of the other pieces like internal hardening and like I, like we said, redundancy and having a, a response plan and having tooling and detection and, and knowing what to do. And also just like that, uh, that idea of just assuming that you'll be breached and then work backwards from there. Again, I think we talked about this. We mentioned the, the, the concept of a pre-mortem instead of a post-mortem, just pretending that something went wrong and going backwards from there. This is the same concept. Just assume that you're breached and then work backwards from there. How bad would it be if like the worst thing that you could imagine happened? And how and how would you deal with that? Yep. And I think that that's the that's the tone that that has been set for this last decade. And hopefully, like for the upcoming decade, we have even better, um, more improved guidance. But yeah, yeah. that's long and short. Yeah, of it. yeah. but I, I would hope so, right? Like, I, I, and actually, like while you were talking here, I, I went to OWASP. I looked at their like anti anti ransomware guide, right? And it actually hasn't been migrated to the new site. I found it <laughs> hilarious that it was. But yeah. <laughs> if you look at the old, the migrated content, there, there's some good things there, right? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of versions that came out of that, right? The um, thing is, I haven't dealt with a, a ton of ransomware, but I have dealt with really annoyingly persistent attackers in web apps who are putting like web shells on the app and making back doors in the, and it's like, and not uh, like the the most notable one I ever worked on was actually not even a company. It was in Oregon. I was just doing volunteer work for them because I felt bad. And it was to the point where the just app the app just had to be like the whole every system had to be burned down. App just scrapped and entirely started from the beginning because yeah. that's how bad and persistent um, but, it was. So yeah, well, and I I mean even in that guide, right? Like I know it's a couple years, you know it hasn't been updated for a couple of years, but it's all the same stuff. It's all the same hygiene that we've talked about over the years, right? When it comes to an application um, and like, who do you trust? You know, I know you give me a lot of flack for the triple A, like talking so much about logging and monitoring. I don't give you flack. I just think it's the most dad version of all the topics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's that's the best way to can describe it. It's the most, it's the responsible, most it's important and not and like people the, don't the, do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Crocs and socks, man. Like it's, you know, Ouch. they're comfy and it's important Ouch. and it's functional. Right. Or function. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's super important. Actually, it is very important, especially uh, in systems with compliance requirements. Auditing is, uh, incredibly important and financial systems. Uh, so yeah, auditing is important in general. 
Not at ink. Crocs and socks. Got it. <laughs> Man, Crocs and socks. <laughs> <laughs> there might need to be a new t-shirt related to that. Um, <laughs> new swag idea. <laughs> but no, I like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I see so, so much poor hygiene when it comes to that because it is a, uh, it's not a, an active control, right? Mm. Uh, when we think about most security controls, we think about like, oh, firewalls block things. You've got access control. You've got identification of users. We've got their authentication. We've got the roles to determine what they can get access to, what functionality exists. And it, it's so often an afterthought, right? Like how we're monitoring for attacks, how we're checking to see, right? Like, I, I mean, ransomware, like I start thinking about web applications and like the old, I mean, it's not old, but whatever, three-tier architecture. Okay, what happens when the database, like all those tables are all of a sudden encrypted, right? Because right. somebody found an avenue in that's not related to your application. How do you notify on that, right? Like, are you, uh, like, what are you doing with those database errors? What are you doing when you try to look up ID parameters and all of a sudden they're just some encrypted value? How does your application respond to that, right? Um, because, what you're seeing from JBS, from the pipeline, like on these systems, is there was no error. Like, like not only was there not a way to, like they hadn't backed things up how they needed to, they didn't have the redundancy built in, but there was no error plan in place, right? When the application yeah. fails at that level, how do you handle that, right? We talk about error handling in courses and, but it doesn't happen in reality, right? There's very few organizations that I would say handle that sort of massive failure in a, a even an elegant manner or even properly, right? It just, it, it, it's think, not on, uh, yeah, it's not on the top of I, our head. Yeah. I think exception handling is like much, very much like how people kind of crapped on WAFs and RASP and whatnot, but they, they, I don't think that, and yes, they're okay. Bypasses aside, right? Of course there's going to be bypasses. Bypasses aside. I think the biggest thing that most of us realized was that companies were just buying these products and just like planting them there, like an F5 box and just being like, we should be good. Right. Or like a module to an F5 uh, load balancer, rather that does WAF stuff or something like that, right? Like a drop-in replacement, assuming that it's just going to work. Not understanding, like the same with exception reporting that there's a very, there's a lot of fine tuning. There's a lot of like omission, like hey, I don't need to be concerned about these things. Uh, this is a pattern. Establishing patterns, understanding like what's not a concern based off those patterns, and then like surfacing what is, and then having like a process to to actually react in a timely manner to to that which most teams honestly like you know and this is another thing too I, I would be hard pressed to imagine that a security team is sitting there like analyzing the exception e even if they did all the, the work to help get exception reporting tuned in i very much doubt that the security team themselves are all day long like looking at the you know the things that they're surfacing and reporting maybe i'm wrong but that's a very intense job it's probably if i had to guess it's probably something you would be I mean, at least for us anyways, you know, you, you would be giving off to engineers as like a task. Like if you see crazy exception uh, reports that like don't make any sense and is totally atypical and feels like it's a security thing, like you're seeing like weird SQL content being sent to the app or something like that, 
that's when you raise it to your security team. But I'm guessing it's not the, th- those aren't the initial triagers. Anyways, the whole point is just that exception reporting is one of those things that you need to do. Yeah. Well, and I mean, how often do you walk into a, so- I, I, you probably, I don't know, right? Whatever. But how often do you walk into a security operations center? And like most organizations that I've dealt with and I've been, you know, I've been a part of, like they have visibility into, okay, this is what the firewall looks like. This is how often we're getting scanned externally, right? This is how, um, like what our virus total rollout looks like, or, you know, virus detection looks like. These are all the nodes that are on our, our, yeah, on our network. And then you're like, okay, what's your most important asset? Oh, it's the mainframe, right? Okay, so how do you monitor that? Oh, well, we don't have any logs that are feeding to the sock from the mainframe. We just, you know, people call us up if there's a problem, right? And you're like, wait a second. So you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars monitoring like people's desktops as they access the mainframe. Um, but like all that fine all that financial transaction just lives there by itself and is only monitored by like the mainframe developers, right? Like yes. it's just this. I, I, like, and this is why like, this is why my head explodes when I talk about auditing and I talk about like, how are you handling that? Because it doesn't actually feed to the people that can do something about it. Um, you know, yeah. yeah joke. Got- if you do want to fire Seth up, ask him about auditing. <laughs> Next conference at, at cloud, for CloudSec, when you see Seth, ask him about auditing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. Uh, yeah. I, but I see it like it, it seems to be like every organization and then they're built, you're building new features into your application and you don't have a plan for the security controls that are in that, in that feature and how you actually monitor those security controls. It's just like some catch all like try catch block in your application that you, uh, that you send to the debug logs and that's it. Right. It doesn't actually make it to, Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, my favorite is when we've when we've gone through authentication related routines, and then you get to like some component that's like abstracted, you know, twenty seven levels down, and then it's like it just says catch exception anything. Yeah, and then there's not even a report. It just literally just catches it so that the app doesn't fail, and then yeah. doesn't do anything with it. It just and this is like it's an authentication on. routine, and it just yeah, it just moves on. or authorization doesn't matter which what whichever something yeah. equally as important, and then they just don't log it at all, and you're like. Uh, gotta be kidding me! They're like, "Oh yeah," because if we don't, then it's you know. Then, the, then the compiler complains, right? Like try yeah. catch block, and then so they they put well, in a catch block, and they just like, oh, only send this to the debug logs and just move on, right? No one no one really looks at those. So yeah, to be fair, it's not just like what you log; it's like how you log, where you log to, what you like. I mean, we. Gosh, there's examples of sending in serialized data and then you like instead of a string and then you get like an entire model objects attributes to include like secret tokens and crap like that accidentally. And then it's like logging to a third party like. Yeah, it's um, all going to Datadog, right? Or it's going, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, which is not, this is not like we're not, you know, it's not nothing against Datadog. No, it's not. (laughs) It's, It's not them. It's just that, you know, there are certain things you maybe can't like even internally for us, there are certain things of like customer information that even if it's accidentally and this has happened and we've reported to, to those people where accidentally a small subset of data. And I talked about it when this happened on the podcast, there was a subset of data. It was very small. It was only in our internal logging system, but it was like plain text. So it was like, Hey, we need to do X, Y, Z reported to them. 
you know, et cetera. So imagine then that's just our own internal reporting system, not like a third party and then like accidentally exposing a ton of stuff. You know, that's, that's the, so there's so many ways in which auditing, the reason Seth gets worked up about it is because there's so many ways in which it goes wrong. And it's not just, you need to log data. There's a lot more to it. So, well, I mean, the problem that I have is, is it's, it's never a requirement, right? Like, or if it is, it's just like, oh, we log data. It's not, how do we actually handle that? How do we, and, and this, this leads directly from ransomware, right? Is, hey, you get exploited. You've got to be able to restore. The logs are crucial to that, but only if they're going to the right people and they're in the right place. Mm. Um, and then you, we don't think about it from a, oh, I've got like, Kubernetes installed and we've got all these different like ephemeral nodes that are logging data to, you know, slash var slash log, and then they disappear. And what happens to those logs, right? Oh, guess what? They're gone. And the, the reason that this, these ransomware attacks are so effective is that we don't think through that in the initial process when we're building an application. We don't think about the redundancy. We don't think about the monitoring. We don't think about that restore process and what's going to happen when it all goes to shit, right? That, that's really what it boils down to. And that, that is mm. why, why I get worked up about it because I see it uh, app after app after app. Yeah. No, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much a thing. And yeah, like it's, um, oh, it's a nuanced, that's why we've got like that, you know, when you've got your, uh, the, the slides on auditing, it's like 54 thousand bullet points and it's only reference material to go back to later instead of yeah. like trying to remember all this right now because there there's just so many like ifs buts ands clauses things you, you know you have to consider it's it's a whole it's, it's a, it, yeah 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 i mean honestly we could probably do a day just on logging um mm-hmm. and, and i know it's not everybody's favorite topic right i i get it's it, the right? crocs and socks of that's topics a, <laughs> the dad topic of asset. It's the cell phone on an exterior phone clip on your belt. No offense, but that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> and damn it, I'm going to make a career about talking <laughs> talking about this. Oh, that and unit right. testing, right? No one wants to write tests either. Like oh, I focused man. on, you're right. I have focused on Crocs and socks. I, you have, <laughs> but it's because so much can be, taken care of with like properly with, with these, these, these are, these are essentially guardrails. That's what they are. They're safety mechanisms and they're important. Um, But they're not like as cool as like the latest, you know, pickle serialization vuln or whatever, you know, cool thing in this SSRF, you know, what's the other one we saw? There's been a bunch of new cool stuff, but it's not that. That's right. Hipster bones. Hipster bones. Yes. Hipster bones. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, like it's not as, it's, yeah, it's more. Yeah, you, you want to protect your application. You do, you have to implement the controls that aren't sexy, right? I, honestly, that, that, that's what it boils down to. You have to perform your due diligence on, Okay, where are the backups at? Are we testing those? Are we making sure that you know the the sock knows when something happens? Are we 
Yeah. Are, are we running this up front so we know when there's a problem, right? Wireshark for life. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. Ethereal. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I, but but that's where I, I like. That's why I wanted to talk about ransomware. Is it just? It feels like we're not doing the little stuff, and we're paying for it. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, right. I, and I don't know how to do that with a third party, right? Like you ask them these questions. Hey, what is it like? Are you sending your application logs to the SOC? And they look at one little like specific, right? Like, oh yeah, we're sending the SOC when somebody logs into the application, and that's it, mm. right? Like they they don't actually send them full on details or train them on what they should be looking for. There's a lot more detail out there on network PCAPs and system logs and what's going on when someone installs, you know, a, you know, uh, uploads a virus-laden packet or virus-laden object to an application or to a system, like we know what that looks like and the SOC knows what that looks like, but they're not developers, right? Uh, So sending them a debug log, all they're going to see is a bunch of gobbledygook and then they're going to turn around and page the on-call developer if it looks like the application's not responding because they just haven't been trained. Um, Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well... So we've we ranted. Are, yeah. <laughs> we have we've ranted. Yeah. I hope I hope um I don't have any, you know, I'll say this. I'm sure it's only gonna get worse before it gets better. That's what I would say. It's probably only gonna get worse before it gets better. But yeah. um it's interesting because it looks like you know it's getting more and more and more professional and with these attackers. So yeah, there's customer really, support lines, there's right, like you call them up and tell them and they're, they're gonna look. And they're they're really smart about it, right? Like the the cost of what they're having having these organizations send them is, yeah, it hurts a little bit, but it's uh, you know they want to be back online as quickly as possible because they're losing hundreds of millions. So spending you know five million to to get that key back makes sense, right? That kind of analysis that they're doing, those guys are smart and they're savvy, and it's you're right, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'd be interested to unpack if we went through the list of these companies, what their funnel into uh, communicating with the security department looks like. Is it a, do they have a bug bounty? Is it a, uh, do they have like a security TXT? Do they have security contacts? If you want to report issues, Um, my hypothesis is that their story there is probably weak. I, I don't know that. I'm not putting and playing the blame game, blame game either. Um, that's my hypothesis. It doesn't mean that that's at all true. Perhaps most of these companies have a bug bounty. I, I actually don't know. I have to go look. But I am curious to know if there is a little bit of, uh, you know, if, if that's a factor. Because usually if you have a bug bounty program, the the the, the stuff that would get hit through a, target of opportunity should at least you you would think surface right like the the, like dangling subdomains and just like silly things that are like you know maybe you're not maybe you didn't know maybe someone put something online you just didn't know maybe they put you know another aws lab instance or environment up and then they have like a crappy s3 and it mocks like prod data and you just don't know that until you it, it reported hopefully and th- this is what i'm saying like i wonder if they have these these sort of programs in place yeah 
I I don't know if we'll get a lot of that detail out, right? Like we can probably investigate some of it, especially if it is, you know, public versus private programs. Um, You know, I, I do feel a lot of like these, these organizations kind of sit in between the, Hey, the large fortune 500 that takes security very seriously, or at least claim to um, versus like smaller, smaller companies that those fortune fortune 500 and a lot of people depend on, that are being target, targeted specifically because they only have a couple hundred employees, maybe only a dev staff of like 10 or 15. And there's one security guy and he's stretched through thin, right? Like it, I, I understand why it happens, but I do feel from a developer and application security perspective that we can push out some of these guardrails and controls um, so that we can see whether or not these organizations are doing some of that and help them and level up their security is really what it boils down to. Yeah, uh, I'd be interested to to unpack it and to see what things were were not done, um, or if it's like you said, you know, some some dependency on a, a larger vendor, um, which we've man. I will tell you that it is becoming a pretty significant topic of discussion amongst a lot of defenders. From what I've seen, is like the supply chain and dependency uh, attacks. And and that's really something, you know, I think most of us are concerned about because like any given applications built upon how many pieces of code that nobody in that org wrote. And that's, that's the everywhere, you know, large and small companies. So yeah. Anyways. Yep. Yep. Nope, yeah. It's becoming top of mind. So um, yeah. something else to factor into your security uh, program. Security program, security requirements. Anyway, so that that kind of takes us to the end for today. Um, Before we hop off, yeah, I do want to I do want to ask that if anybody has any questions for Naomi Buckwalter, to please send your questions to info at absoluteabsec.com, info at absoluteabsec.com, or just uh, hit us up in Slack and DM us uh, some some questions you want. So if you you know you got two weeks to get them in, so. That's what I just wanted to add. Sorry. Nope. You're great. Good. Well, yeah. Um, as always, come join the conversation. Uh, hop on to Slack. Uh, if you have specific things that you want to talk to Ken and I about, info at absoluteabsec.com. Um, if you want swag, you're going to have to find us. We didn't announce anything today. So, you know, if it, it, it you may be able to convince us to send us you something if uh, or send you something if you email us info at absoluteabsec.com and join the conversation. Um, but otherwise, appreciate uh, the, the views and the interactions. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for listening and participating. All right, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>